We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week we are book clubbing Jennifer Lewis's memoir written in 2017 titled The Mother of Black Hollywood. And some of the title refers to just how many moms she has played. She was Tina Turner's mom in the movie What's Love Got to Do With It. Angela Bassett was Tina Turner. And Jennifer Lewis was Tina Turner's mom, even though she was only a year and a half older than Angela. She is Anthony Anderson's mom in Blackish on ABC. And she's the overbearing mom in Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. I don't know if you guys saw that movie, but um, I saw the movie because I read the book. And I was so mad at the book that I went to the movie to probably hate on it. And I ended up loving it. <laughs> I loved that movie. I don't know if it holds up. I I, I don't know if it does, but I, I remember having a good time. So I had heard amazing things about this book, and it was so much fun to read. And I do want to say that this is going to be um, a swearing-heavy episode, even more than normal, because here are some of the chapter titles from this book. Shoulders back, titties first. Just great posture advice, you know. This ain't that kind of call, motherfucker. And Dick Diva. (laughs) So good. Dick Diva is a whole chapter. I don't want nobody. Fucking with me in these streets, same children. I don't want nobody 
fucking with me in these streets. Uh -uh. I don't want nobody fucking with me in these streets. Cause ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time for that. So what? Shit. Shit. <laughs> okay, that was Jennifer Lewis singing a song a man had sang to her at an airport, and she sang it again with Brandy and Roz Ryan, and it went viral, and she talks about it in the book. So let's dive in with my incredible guest, Madison Shepard. Hi, Madison. Hi. Hello, Chelsea. Hello. Um, Madison is a hilarious stand-up comedian. She co-hosts the Wow Rude podcast. She has an album out called Goodnight Silver Lake Lounge. She's open for Maria Bamford, and she's one of the stars of the upcoming TV show Single Drunk Female, which I cannot wait for. <laughs> um, so, Madison, I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. And do you remember how we first met? Yes. We met because um, we did this like really strange bar show in West Hollywood where no one was there. I feel like it was right before quarantine. Yeah, I feel like it was like a month before quarantine. And like, I only know you by reputation, of course. So okay, I was hey. like, you know, I know her. She's funny. And uh, then I went up to you after and I think I complimented you or something. I don't I don't remember all the details, but. I, you know, that that is so funny since. because you know how I remember it is I remember what? going up to you and complimenting you. <laughs> 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 so I, I like somehow we've um, shared this memory. But yeah, I remember um, watching you do stand up and you had... I mean, I I had tears streaming down my face, but you had this. It's really hard when you're a woman to yell at the audience and also make, keep them laugh. And Madison has that on lock. Like you were screaming something at them. And I was like, I love this woman. I need her in my life. And I, I just remember going up to you and being like, oh, hello. Can we be friends? I think it was because somebody was literally in the front row of a like a seven audience member <laughs> audience looking at her fucking phone straight up like on it yes oh my gosh yes that is what it is because I used to um when I performed uh at the second city I used to steal people's phones uh, when they were on them in the front row <laughs> um, and it started because of a group of men who would only put pull out their phones when the women were on stage and so <gasps> yeah so I started taking the phone and then I would take it backstage and I would take a bunch of pictures of myself like <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, give them the phone back. Um, and then I got so into snatching phones. I did it all the time until um, until one of my cast members was like, you have to stop this. And I was like, I disagree, <laughs> but okay. Um, so when I first sent out the list of books, it was actually close to a year ago now. And you were the first person to write back and say, Jennifer Lewis. But after that, like, 10 people emailed me begging to do this book. Um, oh, shit. Because it's such a good one. What made you choose Jennifer? Well, I mean, first of all, I love her work, right? Like she's the best. But I I read almost exclusively uh books written by female writers, actors, and comedians. Okay, um, yes, you're meant for this podcast. Yes, yes, yes. It's <laughs> like pretty much all I read because I just need to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I always say this to people, but if I see you winning, that means I can win too. Oh, so I love it's that. like you know, it, it was more out of, I was in a real bad place last year. And so I started listening to her book and then it was on your list. And I was like, I will read it again uh, and again. I think I've read it like 
three times now. That's so cool. And did you, when you were in a dark place and you read the book, did you, did it make you feel better? Yeah. I think a lot of times, like we're, at least for me coming from like a acting school background, there's such an emphasis on like being young and you have to get your, if you don't make it, at, I had an acting teacher tell me one time, if you don't make it 10 years out of drama school, forget about it. Oh. Like, so, was that a sir? Was that a, a oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I fucking hate this guy. Anyways, sir. he's being fired from his school for being racist. But um, I just love her book because it shows that your career can undulate. It can have ups and downs and it can be slow and it can be like you're hot. And it, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could still be getting it. You know what I mean? Even when the book opens, she's like, I was I was in a lull and I really needed something and then Blackish came around and it's just like oh she was like 50 late 50s at that point being like I got to hustle for a job. Um so yeah. yeah, so sadly the hustle never stops is another lesson from this book. <laughs> <laughs> um and you list did you listen to the audiobook because people recommended I listen to the audiobook. They said it's one of the best ones that exists. I listened to a portion of it. I thought it was incredible. I also realized I can't do audiobooks. Like I I guess I just I just love reading. Um, oh my god! And so, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. I was like, I can't. Uh, yeah, it, I couldn't do it. But it did sound like one of the better audiobooks. Yeah, it. You know what I like about it? She gives dramatic reenactments. Like I feel like the book is only five or six hours long, but she draws it out to like fifteen because she gives <laughs> you the full performance. There's dramatic pauses. I listened to it when I was prepping for this. I listened to it on time and a half, and it sounded normal. That's how like slow and elongated oh, wow. everything is. And there's songs, and you know, I actually didn't realize the cabaret background she had, and because mm-hmm. I knew her so much as an actress, I. Didn't realize she'd been doing these cabaret shows and singing and performing and hosting to the extent she had been. So I cannot imagine a, a better audiobook. Like someone like that is meant for performing a book. I mean, I felt like it was, I wish it had just been like a, a, a visual book because literally I felt like she was high kicking the whole time, like <laughs> pounding her chest. Like I wanted to see the like actual performance. I looked up a bunch of her performances <laughs> after this book just to watch her perform. Um, I also, before we dive into the book, um, I found it so interesting that the book, you think the book is dedicated to her friend, uh, Julia Walker, and then you realize it's her manager. And the whole book is dedicated to her manager. And I used to not understand when I would watch award shows why someone would spend the whole speech thanking their team and their mm-hmm. lawyer. That was always weird to me. I was like, their lawyer? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and um, I will say, I really didn't understand it until I met my current amazing manager. Um, okay, so I want to start not by reading the first page, but I want to read um, a paragraph from from the introduction um, in two separate places. Okay. I bristled from the recent disappointment of not being chosen for several roles I had wanted. I didn't get Orange is the New Black, but my dear friend Lorraine Toussaint did. I didn't get Getting On, but my dear friend Niecy Nash did. I hated the fact that after 40 years in the business, I still even had to audition. And damn, could it possibly be true that as a singer, I had never even recorded an album? On top of all that, I had just broken off another engagement. Okay, okay, now I'm doing what my therapist Rachel would call garbage collecting. Stop bitching, Jenny. Um, so I love the tone of the book. I love the character that her therapist is going to become in this book later. And I, yeah, again, I found it so interesting that the book was starting with like all these huge failures and what she would consider lifelong failures of like never having an album and 
And but also she's so successful and well known. I I love this story because you know I'm I stay manifesting, bitch. You know what I mean I stay with like a <laughs> holding a candle and a positive affirmation. You know, and that's what she's doing in that section, which is like yeah, like she just needed some guidance and she asked, you know, the Asia what some moon over some the body Adriatic water. Sea. Yeah, she, yes. Every she said uh, she sat on the beach and every time a wave. Actually, maybe that's a different part of the book, but. Two times in this book, she every time an ocean crashes against the boat or the beach, she screams, I want a job. Yeah. <laughs> I want a job at TV. <laughs> um, which I thought was such a beautiful blend of just like cathartic yelling release, but also like to the moon, fucking employ yeah. me. <laughs> but then she would get it. And, and then she, she would get, get a job. Yeah, like, she gets home listening. from that cruise and, and gets blackish. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so funny. Also, I want to keep the phrase garbage collecting and use it and be like, stop garbage collecting. Cause I do that a lot. Okay. So another thing I love about this book is I love the structure of it. It is one of my favorite memoir structures yet. And this is going to spoil the structure of the book for you. So if you think you want to read it, pause this episode, go by the book, read the whole thing, and then come back. Okay, so she starts in the present and she's on a cruise and she's talking about her current life and booking blackish and she's bouncing between that era and back in her 20s when she is in New York City as a 20 year old trying to make it and she's going back and forth between those two time periods with the story she's telling. And then halfway through the book, I really started to think, oh, maybe she's not going to tell us all about her childhood. Normally, memoirs start there. And I was really deep in the book thinking, oh, she's not going to go through all that childhood stuff. And we're in the book just listening to these incredible stories in her 20s of her having sex with so many people. The book minimum list. 50 names, names of men she slept with, sometimes their dick size, she details it all, and we are on this wild ride with her. And as we're on this ride, listening to all her stories in her 20s and her current life, there's little crumbs that maybe something is wrong, and maybe the way she's processing things is intense, and she's really sad, and she's crying, and it kind of creeps up on you. Finally, in the middle of the book, Someone gets her to a therapist and she acts crazy to her therapist and gets in her face and says, don't ever fucking ask me about my mother. And she's screaming at this therapist and the next chapter opens and she goes through her childhood. And I thought it was such a cool reveal of someone living life and then finally in the middle of your life, going back and revisiting your childhood as we often do as adults. And as she does that, and with the help of her therapist, she realizes she's bipolar. And all those stories you heard earlier with the crumbs of things that felt a little off are her putting it together that she's dealing with bipolar and she's also living with sex addiction. I just really loved the reveal of it. And did you know that stuff about her before reading this book? I didn't. I didn't know any of this about... It was very revealing. It was very like, you know, I think she talks about it at the end of the book where she's like, you know, putting light to shame or something like that, you know. Um, but I think 
<clears throat> I think the reason why she has this incredible structure is because she's done so many one woman shows about yeah. herself. Yeah. Wow. You're so right. <laughs> she's like, I need a good reveal. <laughs> she's probably done, I would say like 10 or 15 shows about her life. Uh, and so she's able to kind of play with that structure a little bit. You know what I mean? It was like kind of a good play in a way. That you know? is such a good point and also such a good um, thing for like other memoirs to cop like go watch mm -hmm. one man shows see what drives you crazy about them and like don't do that structure in your memoir um mm -hmm. yeah I, I found the turn to be like really compelling and 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 by the time we got to the stuff about our mom I really wanted to read it whereas a lot of books mm -hmm. start with like so when I was a kid and you're like oh it's also the least interesting part because like everyone's had a childhood like unless something really incredible happened nobody cares like I, I mean it's that is such a good point yeah and I think you know um I, in 12 step, I once had a sponsor who was like, stop staring at it. Why do you, why are you living? Like, leave it, you know? Oh my gosh. Stop staring at it. Yeah. Like I, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I am kind of just like, oh my God, woe is me. But like, there's so many more interesting things about people and how they overcome than the issues that they had, you know? Yeah, that is such a good point. And also like I, I've had a, I mean, I think obviously because of pandemic, but, like I've had a very introspective year, especially because I also sold a show based on my own life and to write about it. I like went back, I opened, I opened journals. Um, it was just Ooh. such an intense ride into the past. And now I'm sort of like, I'm really ready to stop staring at it. Like, yeah, there's other stuff going on. Speaking of her 10 one-woman shows, my, she put a bunch of her posters in the book. And my favorite title, do you know what I'm about to say? I feel like it would go on. Um, one of my favorite titles of one of her many one-woman shows was Bipolar Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really made me laugh. All of the songs, her relationship with the composer that like helped her write those songs, I think his name is Mark Norman. I could be wrong about that. But look it up but their relationship is so incredible so like symbiotic she'll literally call how that you know they talk about it in the book but like how that title came about is she was in bed bath and beyond you know being jennifer you know being jennifer motherfucking lewis as crazy as i want to be you know like just doing her fucking thing oh my god that uh, jennifer lewis impression <laughs> I'm Jennifer motherfucking Lewis, crazy as I want to be, you know, like she's very much like, <laughs> I think Jennifer Lewis is summed up by, I let Gregory Hines suck on my titties backstage at UB. You know? <laughs> also, I just want to tell everyone that is an exact line from the book. That is an exact line from the book. Um, she did let Gregory Hines suck on her titty. That is true. Oh yeah. And then some, but you know, that, that's, that title came about because she was being wild at Bed Bath & Beyond and she called her friend who's a composer who was like, where are you? She's like, I'm at Bed Bath & Beyond. And he's like, no, you're not. You're at Bed Bath & Bipolar. And then he wrote a song about it. It's very sweet. And what's so cool about that is that she goes through so much rejection, including one of my favorite lines in the book comes after she was rejected from SNL, by the way, a crime. Imagine the SNL where Jennifer Lewis was on uh, in 1986. Yeah. Uh, true crime that didn't happen. But she went and like collapsed in Central Park for mm -hmm. minimum 12 hours. And <laughs> she goes and revisits Central Park and she says, I smiled a bit thinking back on it, how meaningless rejection becomes as the years roll by. And I was like, take me there. How do I get yeah. a train ticket to that mental place? I'm not there yet myself either, obviously, but the more you do it, the more it's like fine. Like she talks yeah. about also being fired from jobs and being like, whatever, I have others. Anyway, 
I just relate to her story so much because even though she's not a comedian or whatever, but she did so many solo shows. Like that's one thing that I relate to for sure is because she did so much work of her own in between projects. Yeah, she stayed fulfilled. She kept her artistic cup full. And I think that's really what it's about. And I think that sort of balances or counteracts like any rejection or, you know, things that I'm not getting that other people are getting. But it's like, yeah, but they're not writing this pilot that I'm writing and it's hella fun or like they're not working on, you know, whatever thing. I really like this. Yeah, that's a really great point, because when she says like, oh, I didn't get this or I was in a, a lull. She's also saying I enrolled in this class, this class, this class. I started writing this show. I started writing this show. Um, and those shows get her other work. And yeah, I I will say my one rejection tip that um, is something that Ashley Nicole Black thinks I came up with and I think she came up with it. We don't know. We don't know <laughs> who came up with it, but together we kind of came up with um, whenever I start a project that I'm really, really excited about, I put everything into it um, kind of in the middle of that project before it launches and releases and gets its answer. I start another project so that they're always overlapping so that no matter what happens, I've, I'm have i already in the moment of another project because I have found that once you take rejection for your baby, you fall so hard, you can't get back up. And so I overlaying projects has been like a way to just like always buoy momentum and moving forward. So that's my hot tip out there for anyone who wants to overwork themselves. Yes. Alcohol, not alcoholism, but workaholism, you know, try it. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like I'm actually giving bad advice. (laughs) Um, Okay. So then we have to talk about another unreal story. And this is your trigger warning for sexual assault. She tells a story about talking her way out of being raped. And in the book, she lists that only one in three million women are able to talk a rapist out of it, which is just such an excruciating statistic. And basically, this man convinced Jennifer that he was a delivery man. He comes into her apartment and he drops the knife he was using at one point and she picks it up and she's going to stab him in the back. And in that moment, she is compelled to put the knife down and instead talk him out of it. I mean, this story was so crazy. And then she talks the man out of it by, it's a very long story, but She basically had a bunch of um, incense and eucalyptus in her apartment, and she convinced him it was medicine and that she was very, very sick and that he would get sick if he slept with her. And also something about the way he was made her feel she could approach it like this. And then he wants her phone number. She gives him a fake phone number and tells him he can call her anytime. And he says he's really sorry, leaves, and then she immediately calls the cops. I mean, the story was just wild. I don't know about you, but like, I love hearing as a survivor, I love hearing stories of survivors either talking their way out of it or fucking the person up Yeah, yeah. that is assaulting them. Like there was a viral video a few years ago of this woman who just showed up to a dude's job. She, she was like, you remember me? You attacked me when I was five. And then she fucking wails on him and nobody stops her. And I literally, it was just a cathartic, like I was like sobbing and like, you go girl. So I, I love this. One, as a narrative. first off, can you send me that video? Yes, um, of course. Secondly, yes, um, also a survivor. And those stories are so cathartic. And Jennifer has a few of them where she goes back and really gets the perpetrator and goes at them. And they felt so empowering to read. I remember I one time saw a video 
it was like surveillance footage from a restaurant of a woman who was almost assaulted doing Krav Maga on like three bros. And I thought like, oh, I have to sign up for this. I have to take Krav Maga classes. And I went to this Krav Maga uh, self-defense course where I found out the video was fake. And it was just to get women to sign up for the course. And, um, you know, I did. I was like, I sure, I'm sure I can karate chop someone. Like, let's do this. Um, so... Another thing to talk about is that there are only a couple of things in this book where, you know, I felt like I really loved it, but there were a few things that bumped me out. And one of them is that she goes at her own weight a few times. Yeah. Pretty hard where she's like, can you believe how fat I was? And you're like, no, you know, and like she's like mad yeah. she can't lose the weight at 57 for blackish. Mm -hmm. In the two weeks she has to prepare before she has to be on set. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Uh, like, people know how big you are. You're not fooling anybody. Right. Apparently, like, it's very common for people to not give their true sizes to wardrobe because they think they'll be a size smaller by the time they shoot. And oh, it's like, that's no. not how it works, honey. Oh, no. Yeah. In fact, uh, I believe I do the opposite. <laughs> and another thing to note is her use of the word gypsy. She uses it, like, 50 times in the book. And I've read up as much as I can on this, and I don't have a great answer, but what I came away from the internet learning is that when it's lowercase the way Jennifer uses it, it is not a slur. But when it has the capital G and is describing someone's ethnicity, like talking about someone who is Romani, then it is a slur. That's that's what I learned from the internet. But if you have a better educated um, answer, please hit up the Facebook group Celebrity Book Club Podcast. But she uses it throughout the book. So I found myself uh, in a hole looking up the word and, and trying to figure it out. And then you know, but she has all these great stories of her artist friends. And that's and she's using the word gypsy to describe her all her artist friends. And I found those stories with her friends in the theater just so it was just so beautiful and reminded me of my early days running around New York City. I mean, that was what they did in the 70s. I mean, my mom was doing, you know, theater. She did like six shows a year in Dallas uh, prior to me coming and ruining her career. But, um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I just I I I think I also love this 70s uh early 80s section of the book where she's talking about being with all of her friends down at the bar and like Black Broadway really was having a moment at that time with incredible shows and it just sounds like god just to be like a fly on the wall there and you know I, I, it just I, all the high kicking and the singing loudly. I, I know that musical theater kids are annoying, but like they're also, it's a lot of fun when you're in with oh them. Oh my God. <laughs> when you're in with them, it's the best night of your life. When you're anywhere around them, it's the worst year of your life. Ready um, to give it up. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and so, okay. So another great story in the book is the story um, of the town prostitute who is named Fat Jackie. Uh, Incredible. Will you tell us the Fat Jackie story? Because you sent me some funny DMs about this. So, okay. So I, I love the Fat Jackie story because like I aspire to play a character like this, you know, uh, just big hair, lots of jewelry and titties out, you know, that just sounds mm, right up my alley. Uh, but Fat Jackie, basically she was uh, the town sex worker and um she was driving uh in her cadillac eating a piece of fried chicken when she sees jennifer and her like you know high school homegirl who they were skipping class and she was like do you guys need a ride i'll take you where you're going and she's like 
you know, get in the cars, girls. And she's like, oh, you guys are skipping school. Like, and, you know, she's being like cool auntie a little bit, being like, I don't care. Like, you know, they know that she could tell their moms and it would be, the jig would be up. <laughs> so as she's eating a piece of fried, check, uh, fried chicken, uh, uh, Fat Jackie is like, all right, girls, y'all fucking... <laughs> These are like 15 or 16 year old girls and they're like, you know, they didn't want to say, but yes, they were uh, to just, you know, end any all, in all questions, but they were both having sex and they were like, no, we, we haven't. Okay, girls. Well, when you do just always be sure to check the meat, check the meat. And she's and holding a, the drumstick as she says this, check the meat. <laughs> it's very dramatic. Stories like this, there's certain ones where I'm like, did it happen like that, Jennifer? Or is this from the one woman show? You know, because that sounds very theatrical yes, and incredible. Yes. Uh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But regardless, we get to enjoy this wonderful story, right? Oh my God. Yes, I love it. I also want to replace the eggplant emoji with the little meat emoji now. Like it, that. now that's what it is. <laughs> that's the meat. Um, and she, Jennifer says her go-to move after Jackie taught her to do this is to uh, draw, draw a bath for a man she brings over so that she can check the meat. Have you ever checked the meat, pre-checked the meat? Girl, usually I'm barely like, well, previous to being in the relationship I'm in, it was like, uh, you're here. All right, let's go <laughs> drunk or blackout of some kind, just being a damn mess. Uh, so I haven't checked the meat. And frankly, I should have a few times, you know, a couple trips to the doctor. And I'm like, okay, got to check the Do meat. Better. Make gotta sure, check the meat. Make sure I didn't have this advice. Yeah, yeah. I is checking the meat is like making sure it's it's all clean and good. But I also took it to mean like, do you want to feast on the meat? You know, like is it a good cut? I guess. Right. I oh man. I, and we've all been fooled. We've all been. We've tricked. all been fooled. Oh, we've been fooled by just just not enough movies and TV shows showing full dick. And listen, you guys, this is a swear mm-hmm. heavy episode, so just it's going to get worse. But um, one of the things I love, and I'm so biased because um, Yasser writes and is on this show, but Black Monday. Uh, one thing I picked up and then was able to confirm with the showrunner is that they only show full penis, and they've never shown. Blue- <laughs> They've never shown boobs. They've never shown badge. They've never shown, but it's just, but you will see full men's dicks. <laughs> Can I just say also just how 70s Jennifer is throughout this? Like, it's just so, I was glamorous in the 1970s. Drawing a man a bath oh my before you God. have sex. Can you imagine? No, and like, <laughs> I, I got on board with it because I was like, oh, this is how she checks the meat. But like, otherwise, like, y'all got to wait for the bath to fill up and talk? That sounds like I a know. nightmare. <laughs> Because she's also not in relationships. These are one night stands and Mm -hmm. they're having full on baths. Sounds like a lot of work. Who has the time? It sounds like a time before the internet. Also, like the bath is for me. When Mm -hmm. I get in a bath, it's for me. I can't imagine sharing it with someone. Like I'll share a hot tub. And I'll share like a big yeah. ass tub, but like if I'm getting in the bath, like leave me alone. I'm ha- I'm reading a book. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you know, you're a tall lady. I'm a tall lady. There's yes. barely room for us in yes. the bath currently. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to stick a grown man or woman in there with me. Get out. Get out. Yes, I agree. Get out. But the uh, bathtubs were bigger in the 70s. Okay. <laughs> oh, they were? Okay. We got to bring that architecture back. Okay. So now I want to read... Uh, I want to read a page that is basically it is a celebrity book club cookie crossover with Tina Turner because um, basically uh, 
the movie What's Love Got to Do with It, Angela Bassett plays Tina Turner. And she want, she like makes it clear in her book that she did not audition for that role. Like people think I auditioned and I did not because she ends up playing the mom. She is only 18 months. She won't even give it a year. She says, I am only 18 months older than Angela Bassett. <laughs> and I played the mother. And this is what she wrote about it. The reason I wasn't asked to audition for the role of Tina was because my titties were too big. Too bad, because I would have sung that motherfucker and acted the hell out of it. Bitch better have my money. Anyway, nobody could have played the role as well as Angela Bassett. Uh, Lo and behold, the director of What's Love called me during the casting process and told me they wanted me to play Tina Turner's mother. I was just about to say fuck you when he told me how much I would be paid. Before I hung up, I told him, well, for that kind of money, I'll play the daddy. (laughs) Which, by the way, (laughs) me reading her words is such a joke. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bitch better have my money. That sounded like um, like a video of like a librarian that goes viral. Um, but yeah, that's just, I love how funny she is. And also she's like, for that money, Jesus. Um, which I thought was great. And also her boob stuff of like, they will not let her play young roles because her boobs are big, which I feel like that's, is it must be a thing of the past. Because big boobs are, uh. are, you can play, you can have big boobs now. Is that true? I don't no, think I don't know. so. I'm kind of guessing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can be fat now, but like, I mean, come on, big titties. I I have a joke in my act right now that's like, you know, I'm I'm never going to play an ingenue. They're never going to let me, you know, like I am always going to be always an Olga, never a Masha. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, like it, yes. It, I've played Olga three different times in my life. I have played Masha zero, <laughs> not even in scene study because they don't let you. If you have big titties, it reads older. Uh, you know, you're, if you're taller, like you have to play the yeah. mom. It's like, eh. well, I, I didn't in acting school. Not only did I not even play the mom, I played the men. Yeah. Um, I played <laughs> all the, I was King Lear for fuck's sake. <laughs> okay. There's a story about her pastor molests her when she is a child or when she's in high school. And mm-hmm. while that was the first abuse, the second abuse is her mom not believing her. And her mom was like, no, I love the pastor. He would never do this. Like, you're lying. Um, And that's kind of like this big trauma that's going to come back later in the book when she calls the pastor, which we'll get to later. Um, Then there's some more amazing stories that we're skipping for time about Obama's inauguration, becoming a a Bette Midler harlot, like one of the women who sings behind her, and getting the call on Saturday night for that job and being pissed anyone would assume she's home on a Saturday night. Like, she was so mad someone was calling. (laughs) Um, And then the book just has so many incredible stories, and I'm going to read a page that's going to sum it up. I woke up on New Year's Day, 1984, with my head banging and my face feeling like it was made of cement. Peter, a bassist I'd been flirting with, called at 6 a.m. to wish me a happy new year. I went back to sleep till 2 p.m. when Tyrone came by. We watched the Orange Bowl, and let's just say Tyrone made it to the end zone more than once. He was going down on me during halftime when Peter and Ken called. And yes, to answer your question, I picked up both times. I love to push the limits. Fucking one guy while talking to two others was a complete power trip for me. Thomas called twice and hung up before finally leaving a message. The neighbor... The neighbor next door banged on the wall and shouted for us to keep it down. Being in my 20s, how could I possibly keep it down? (laughs) I mean, that's just one day of her life. (laughs) Um, And there are stories of having sex with John Voight, with Mm -hmm. Gregory Hines. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you think John Voight had it in him? I mean, she's a high bar. She's a high bar, and John passed the bar. And I just, I didn't see that coming. I didn't either. I I also am like, wait, that John, like Angelina's daddy? Yeah. That's what you're talking about? Like, okay. And I think Mm. he's 
maybe, I mean, I'll fact check this. If I keep it in, it has been fact checked, but I think he's like a, a Republican bad guy. Yeah, he's horrible. He's yeah, horrible. Right? Yeah, but yeah. I guess he threw that he D also, down. Like, he didn't like raise it. He was like a deadbeat dad to Angelina. I mean, just brother, from that yeah. alone. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Her brother forgot. Yes, absolutely. Well, maybe that's something to add. Like, not only do you check the meat, but like check if the meat paid um, childcare. Like, check if the meat called its daughter. <laughs> What's listen? I had a guy who on our first day, I always ask, you know, do you have kids? Are you, you know, are you married? Are you divorced or whatever? And he goes, no, I, I, I don't have kids. I've never been married. I'm like, oh, okay, you're a unicorn. Okay, let's go. Come to find out, he has a daughter named Duchess in, like, the South somewhere who's a full-grown adult. <gasps> he just he didn't had, consider mm -hmm. him a partner. It's a deal-breaker. You know what I mean? Anyways, that's just yes. a personal You know, I would say secret daughter would be a deal-breaker. I would say that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to get deep, y'all. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. So I want to read this page um, where she talks about Shirley MacLaine, which actually sums up the book club, I thought, really well. She said... 
Perhaps the most important book for me at the time was Out on a Limb by Shirley MacLaine, which she chronicled her exploration of New Age spirituality. The book brought ridicule to MacLaine for her talk of aliens and trance channeling. In her speech after winning the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress for her role of Terms of Endearment, MacLaine said, if you can dream it, you can make it happen. I was hooked. Shirley was famous, and I wanted her recipe for success. So first off, I got to say... Wanting someone's recipe for success and reading these books. I feel like you said at the beginning of this podcast, you do that. That's a huge part of the reason why I initially got into these books. And also, we are going to read that exact Shirley MacLaine book on this podcast. (laughs) Um, And Shirley has 17 memoirs, you guys. Not a joke. Insane. Not different how-to books and fictional books. 17 memoirs. We are going to be reading that book, so I had to call out. Celebrity Book Club crossover. And I love that Jennifer was learning from Shirley and now we're learning from Jennifer. Um, So a really tough part of the book is that AIDS hits the theater community and Mm -hmm. it it takes many, many, many of her friends and creatives and she still does fundraising for AIDS relief and HIV. And when one of her closest friends dies, which would produce a ton of grief, um, her response is so strong that a friend tells her there's something really wrong with the way you're you're taking, um, the way you're taking this. Like, it's just an extra intense. And then Jennifer goes on to say that she has found rejection and how you take it is a great test for mental health and how your mental health mm-hmm. is doing and how after SNL, she was like devastated for days. Um, I would say that's true. Would you say how you take rejection is a good test of where your mental health is at? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If I'm like too cool about it, uh, like, ah, it doesn't matter, whatever. It's like, no, you're just denying. You're really upset. Alternatively, if I'm like, I'm never going to work again because this show. <laughs> um, I feel like now I've gotten much more even killed about it. And it's like, oh, well, maybe that's in coinciding, coinciding with, uh, I don't know, therapy and antidepressants and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah. I remember um, one time, many times, uh, scream rage crying, you know, where it's just like, mm-hmm. ah! you know for hours mm-hmm. in the dark i'd probably i was kind of going on hour eight and my roommate came home in the middle of it i don't know i thought she'd be gone or something came home <laughs> and she was like are you okay and i was like i didn't make an improv team <laughs> <laughs> that was like a real clear moment of like hmm this seems to be out of touch proportionally with what you're talking about <laughs> Um, I mean, also, the more you do it, the more it just becomes, this is a job that I am applying for, and I will get it or I won't, and okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think also the more you know, kind of, on if you, a peek behind the curtain of what happens on the other side of it, it starts to become way less personal, and it's like, man, I am, not, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's anyway. about how dumb you are for not choosing me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let me go back to my one-woman show or whatever I'm working yeah, on now. <laughs> no, you're told it's such a good point. But the the kind of mental health the mental health barometer um, now kind of comes into play. This is the part of the book where she discusses realizing she's bipolar. And first what happens is she sees a movie called Francis where Jessica Lange is a manic depressive and she recognizes herself in the movie. But it's too much of a realization so she doesn't do anything about it. And then um, I, what I thought was really incredible in this book is the way she finds therapy. So I want, I want her, she's with a bunch of really cool women and this is what happens. She said, 
When I regaled them with stories of my sexual escapades, they laughed, but clearly grew tired of hearing me proclaim again and again, I am a star and dick is my life. And when I described (laughs) some of the esoteric (laughs) methods, such as trance channeling and tarot cards that I believed could help me find direction, Beverly told me, Jenny, I don't believe none of that shit. You need to carry your ass to therapy. I half nodded, feigning interest. And so I I will say... um, we talk about uh, there's a psychic moment in every celebrity memoir and another one is coming, but she does so much new age stuff in this book. We've skipped a lot of it. But she is constantly like the tea leaves, my astrology, which yeah. Okay. So, okay. So maybe we are going to disagree on this. So she's trying all this stuff and she doesn't push this on you. And she makes sure to say like, this is just my journey. Do what you want to do. But The journey you really go on is that she was doing all this stuff, but what she really needed was therapy and meds. And Mm. she takes care to say, I'm not telling you to go on meds, but this book finally cracked all of the moments in celebrity memoirs of and other women in my life, why we stereotypically love all that new age astrology, tea leaves, crystal shit. Like as a gender, it's our stereotype. And I, I'm saying this with several crystals around me. Um, and I think it's like, oh, we want to be better. We want to be better. We want to know we'll be okay. And that stuff is really accessible. And it helps you connect to yourself and your gut and your intuition, mm-hmm. which is so important to connect to yourself. But at the end of the day, if you need therapy, you need therapy. And I've had a falling out with a lot of my childhood stuff. I grew up very new age. Um, and there's kind of that saying or joke of like, when a plane has turbulence, an, athe- an atheist begins to pray. So like in my darkest moments, I still call my mom and I'm like, please call that psychic. Uh, I start pulling cards. Like I can't help it. Like that is my core. But mm-hmm. I really started to think about like the cult documentaries and how fragile mm-hmm. your brain can be and how you can't let an untrained astrologist <laughs> into your brain because brains are malleable. So anyways, I, I kind of came out of this being like, tarot cards are great, but will any does anything come up against an actual trained therapist? Yeah, or like, you know, relying on your friends too much to like process things as they're happening. It's like, you might need somebody who's outside of this relationship to give you an overarching view on what's actually up and connecting some, helping you connect some dots. I mean... It is so much easier to uh, pray, to meditate, to pull cards, to burn sage than to sit down and like really be in the same room with your trauma and your pain and how to deal with that. You know, like that is not easy to confront and look at and it's painful and it sucks, but you only really need to do it a couple times in your life, maybe probably once is enough for some of that shit. And, you know, you can move on having unburdened yourself with it, you know, but there's nothing, there's nothing like doing the real work, so to speak, you know, actually sitting down and digging through that shit, going through the quote wreckage of your past um, is really helpful and helps you move forward, you know? Yeah, that is a really great point. And, and also, Trauma is um, horrific and it is it's like uh, an intangible, ambiguous morph, uh, morph. I don't know if that's a word, an ambiguous cloud of nightmares unless 
you are trained in how to take that cloud apart and realize it's it's just this real thing to deal with or or a therapist is there and i feel like so many times in my life i kind of ap- approached that like horrificness in myself with wondering uh what house my moon was in <laughs> <laughs> you know and I like course, it, yeah. it's been this really interesting thing because I am like so new agey but reading her book it's like you can see her trying all these things and nothing works until she like gets diagnosed as bipolar and like faces the actual therapy of it I think that's true for a lot of people you know especially in the theater honey whoo there was some astrology superstitious ass bitches in the theater baby trust Yo, me on my that one god it's like I don't know why we are drawn to it but it is our kind um mm-hmm. and her <laughs> best friendship with Rachel her therapist this is the buddy movie I want and need and will write if you are listening she she and I loved this because she actually saw a bunch of therapists who were unhelpful and bad and she was like fuck therapy but kept trying and she finds Rachel this is the love story and the meet cute that I need uh, when you meet your perfect therapist and there are then stories in the book <laughs> where at 3 a.m. she is calling Rachel from another country being like, I'm going to fuck my masseuse. And Rachel is like, no, you are not. And she's like, I am fucking him. And Rachel's like, put the phone down. You're not going to fuck him. Um, you know, and and then like stories of her being so depressed that she has to call Rachel every three blocks just to make it to the theater to go on stage that night. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, her, her poor therapist, but I really loves them together. Um, and then her therapist suggests meds, which Jennifer is like, absolutely fucking not. And what is so cool about this book is how she destigmatizes um, meds. And I'm on meds mm-hmm. too, but I really felt, um, I really felt like meds were going to take away my personality and mm-hmm. they were going to dull me and that mm-hmm. my thoughts would be different. And mm-hmm. so I just want to say on the podcast, my personal experience was that, um, meds did not, don't work, um, without also using the tools my therapist has taught me, but it's mm-hmm. just without meds, I sometimes would get into um, some of the attacks and I would not be able to get out of it. Whereas the meds like slow it down to the point where I could then try and implement something my therapist had taught me to get out of it um, and to like come back into my head. And so, or like I would, I would used to hear a sound and I would be so jumpy. My whole body would kind of shake for an hour. Like literally my mm-hmm. phone could ring. And if I wasn't expecting it, I'd be like, <gasps> and it was just this panic that was in me. And now like the phone can ring and like, I don't flip out. And that's, that's what I feel like sharing for anyone who, ha- whose mental health possibly needs it, but you're scared of them. I just want to give you the other side of it. Yeah. I mean, listen, when my phone rings, I'm jumping, but that's because I know it's a bill collector. It's like, I don't got my TV money yet. Hold the fuck on. It's Hold coming. <laughs> You'll get your money, she bitch. Damn. Here, she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love the language that she uses. It's very gentle. It's very uh, open. She says repeatedly that meds were a solution for her, but they may not be for everybody. Yeah, and they might not be for everyone. But I think there is this thing where like, you know, I read a statistic one time too that was like women are most like or more likely than men to not to be all in the binary. This is just how they fucking do medical statistics. You know, the patriarchy, it fucking sucks. But um, that women are more likely than men to go off of their medication. Oh, wow. Because I have also done that too. So that mm-hmm. that's just me. me. <laughs> it's yeah. true. And it, yeah. it's something to do with us being like, oh, well, I don't need it anymore. I got it because that's that's in our nature, right? We're like, well, I can handle it. It's okay. I got it under control. That's fixed. I'm done. I Whatever. And, uh, you know, she talks about going off of her meds. She talks about having breakthroughs, using meds and, and being in therapy. And 
I, you know, I didn't really start coming to the work of my life, which is sorting my shit out until I was in my late 20s. But I wish I'd read this book. I wish it existed sooner so Same. I might read some of this stuff because I think if I had heard, I came to these uh, solutions on my own through other work, but uh, 12 step and therapy, I came to those at a different time in my life. But um, I, I feel like I would, I could have had a, a, a shortcut a little bit if I had heard her talk about her experience with medication and I probably wouldn't have been so hesitant. Now I'm like, med me, baby. You know, <laughs> med spot. put it here. Uh, <laughs> Give me med. Here's my tongue. Uh, I want it. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I would have killed for this book um mm -hmm. a, as a like if you if you yeah I, I mean just get this book give it out for christmas if you have the means like this is such a great book and yeah meds night might not be for you but i definitely did not have a med story in my life to look at um mm -hmm. to feel positive about them so it's really cool that she gives us one and yeah. i mean like uh madison for anyone who listens to this podcast often y'all know how emotional i am and i just want to say that's me on meds <laughs> <laughs> that is, this is me. Calm down. Um, and they just really, they were really life changing for me too. Um, yeah, yeah. So then, um, I want. There's a great stories about her mom. I want to sum up her mom with a story about how um, a welfare guy comes to their house for a check in. He's a white man. He's racist. He calls her the N word and asks how they have a television. And she says, one moment, she closes the door. She goes and gets the bucket that, because they don't have a, a bathroom, she gets the bucket that everyone pees in. She opens the door, she throws it on him. And this was one of those stories where you're like, yes, <laughs> yes. And um, so her mom this is, is just, a shit pie moment of her story. Oh my gosh. Her mom is just like, Real tough, and there's a tough part that comes through for Jennifer as a child, but there's this also incredible toughness of uh, that helps her survive. Um, I will also say the N-word is used all over this book. Also, Kenlock. Did, so did you know about Kenlock being the first all-black town? I didn't know, but I know about so many of those. You know, the only one of the things they say fucked up black people the most is when we integrated with white people. Because God damn, we were doing okay on our own, like in these little enclaves of our own, you know, with our own butchers and our own banks and our own, you know, uh, community. And white people came along and fucked it up like they always do, you know. No, absolutely. And so Kenlock was, um, she I think she said it was one of the first only black governed towns. And it's and she grew up in an all black town and how, yeah, there were so many benefits of it, but also um the poverty left with people and how they did they had everything but a bank because there was no point for a bank for people who were not getting money at all. And then mm -hmm. to um to cross-reference this, God, what is the Marvel movie show that I'm now blanking on? Um, it's Watchmen. So if you saw Watchmen, the TV series, which is fictional, but it is in it's inspired by real events where one of these Black-only governed towns was just thriving. And it was called the Black Wall Street, and they were doing incredible in their own community, and which, of course— um, white people then couldn't have and went and um, murdered and bombed and like just blew up Black Wall Street. And if you want a devastating but superhero fiction way to explore that, watch The Watchmen. Um, but it is really tough. But she's also in one of these towns, but um, they're also kept down by the poverty of all the white people around them. I think I really related to this portion of the book when she's talking about her mom. I mean, my mom only had me but we were still in a lot a lot of poverty when I was growing up like 
I'm, I'm originally from South Dallas and like there were times when we didn't have electricity or water and I would have to go to the neighbor's yard to like fill a bucket with water so that we could have things to drink and clean ourselves and cook with overnight until we could go to school or work or whatever and be able to use facilities there. Um, so I just really related to the the extent of her poverty that she had growing up. It wasn't always like that, you know, but like sometimes it was times were really fucking hard. And my mom, I have so many memories as a child of my mom just being this fucking tough, as tough as her yeah. mom, as strict, as like, no, this is what it is because she's trying so... I mean, now, you know, she has this realization in the book too where she can look back and say, there's this moment where her mom is standing in front of her Christmas tree with the little dog that she bought for her adopted daughter. And like, you know, she sees her as this like frail, kind of strong, beautiful woman. And it's like, yeah, we have to kind of get to that place with if you grew up in that kind of home with those kind of circumstances where you can see that, wow, maybe mom wasn't, maybe mom was rightfully angry all the fucking time because she was like really having to make sure that we made it through this period in our lives. It's like, yeah. Oh, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it. You know, it's like, it's so beautiful. I, it's so beautiful. I totally agree. And, and it's this really interesting thing of to survive poverty abuse and her mom the racism rampant racism mm -hmm. and to raise kids as a single mom you have to be so 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 strong and mm -hmm. but as a kid she's undiagnosed bipolar so she's she's um really up and down as a kid and her mm -hmm. mom is so tough on her that she hates her for it and mm -hmm. growing up she ends up confronting her for it but also realizing that like, that's what it took to like her mom saved to get them into better, like into a house one day. And like, she was doing all these incredible mm -hmm. things. And like, that's what it takes. Like you can't let your spirit be broken and you have to form a tough spirit. But then as a child, you don't see it like that. Oh, and then that moment. Oh my God. Oh my, I must be about to start my period. Cause girl, I'm like all, or this maybe these eyelashes. I can't tell. But that moment where her mom is passed and she just has, you know, she feels like her mom was so hard on her and like she was a forgotten child and her mom she was an afterthought to her mom because she was the baby and then her siblings sent her four boxes of keepsakes that her mom had for her and it's just like oh my god every clipping the blue ribbon that she stole at the track meet which she, she, she brings she should up. have gotten first and didn't so she stole the right. ribbon and took it home to her mom it's just uh. so it's just so beautiful and it's like it's that's through therapy and like you know really looking at your shit in a real hard way that she can have a different experience of her mother even though her mom's gone I just thought it was so beautiful yeah <laughs> I don't think I've ever cried on a podcast before so I'm so honored it's this, <laughs> this one and it's honestly a shock <laughs> I'm not crying so this is <laughs> um no I it is so beautiful there is something so I think I'm I feel it's so tough because to get those boxes and realize how much a parent cared is so meaningful, but to also not get that until the boxes are sent to you. It's so sad that she didn't get to know that love beyond those boxes. Like she didn't know her mom even cared until she could see her. And this also is in Mel B's book where um, her dad, she realizes her dad loves her because he like kept all this stuff about her, but... I don't and know. It's just a generational thing too. Like they weren't, 
especially good at like sharing emotions. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the greatest generation, you know, they just had to get through it. You know, they didn't really spoil, what is it? Spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, they didn't have the tools to deal with all the shit they were dealing That's with. That's what it is. They didn't have the tools. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're so right. So, and that doesn't make it right. I'm, I'm, I, this does not absolve her mother, but I think for, anyone's healing to like deal with the wounds that we have from our parents, like to, ha- to know that this love does exist yeah. even, even as, as uh, uh, imperfect as it is and how it's presented, it can be healing to yeah. hear. And that and context feel. is really important too of, of just, they didn't have the tools. And one of the most incredible parts uh, I found is that her therapist has her write one of those letters of like, you're really mad at this person, um, write out your, all your feelings to your mom, and then you get to decide if you want to send it or not. Jennifer not only sends it, she made copies for each one of her brothers and sisters and sends all of them the letter. And I was like, oh my God. And But what she says is so cool. She said, we think our parents can't handle honesty and we're afraid to hurt them, but they can. And um, and it sets you free and rarely has someone ever not been okay after honesty. And she just went through the tough thing of telling her mom how much that stuff hurt her and then they moved on. I have that quote written down on my little notes too. So I'm glad that like that was, it's a very impactful moment in the book, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's really, really beautiful. And thank you for sharing so much. So then in all her therapy, she does the thing we talked about, which is she calls the pastor up. And the title of the chapter is This Ain't That Kind of Call, Motherfucker. And she calls Mm -hmm. him up and he's like, Jennifer, how are you? And she's like, this ain't that kind of call, motherfucker. And she's like, (laughs) fuck you. Do you do this to girls still? I will kill you. I will end you. Like, how dare you do that to me when I was a child? He comes up with this psychotic reason where he's like, I just wanted you to know what you were going to do, what was going to happen to you in Hollywood. I wanted you to be prepared that men were going to force themselves on you. And and, um, which is just like do better, you know, like at least be smarter, come up with a better reason. Like you can't even respect that one. He uses that to justify his abhorrent behavior. Like absolutely. And it's, that's not why he did it. He did it because he wants to have power over women and children and is fucked up. Yes. That's why. And I will say like, I want to make some phone calls, like reading this. I was like, yeah, do I, but I, I don't, I'm not in that place. Like, I think I would be like, ah, um don't call me back um but Mm -hmm. i yeah i the idea that she calls him was just really uh very cool to read and and live her again this is why people say read the audiobook it's very impactful because she gives she gives the fucking dramatic reading of it she does his voice and his mannerism and she does her you know what i mean her part of it her path of the scene I'm like, I really, she wants to say that she, or she said that she wants to have a one woman show on Broadway, like sometime before she passes. And I'm like, I want to see it. Oh my (laughs) God. I was like, someone give her the goddamn show. It's she, and I mean, watching her perform and reading the book. Yeah. It's such a good book. It's so funny. It flies. It's fast to read, but it's also like very deep. Um, Mm -hmm. So then uh, we, she really goes into talking about sex addiction and how there was, she was like, yeah, like all this crazy, amazing story stories. And I love Dick and I'm a Dick diva and Dick is my life. And Mm -hmm. also, um, what I was doing was like pretty intense and not good for me. And her therapist tells her that keeping a journal all her life may have been one of the things that saved her as someone Mm -hmm. with many journals. I was like, very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to mention, um, 
that one of the cookies in the book club reached out to me and said, um, I also have sex addiction. And when you have it as a woman, she said, it's so stigmatized that rarely um, do women come forward. And so like how meaningful it was that like Jennifer's book did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said something that was like very funny, but also very poignant, which is she said, it's important for people to understand we're not sluts. We're just sad. And <laughs> because of the way sex is viewed and sex for women, you know, it's just like, oh, you're a, you know, all the things you could say about a woman who is quote unquote promiscuous, but they're dealing with addiction and, mm-hmm. and, and dealing with like deep, deep sadness that is bringing them to that place. And for Jennifer is also part of being bipolar and in the manic state. And she felt she couldn't even calm down unless she had had sex. And so it was like mm-hmm. very much a mental health thing. Yeah. So we're going to skip some more incredible moments. There's just so many great moments in this book. I just highly encourage you to read it. There's a story about Whoopi Goldberg. There's a Carrie Fisher, Penny Marshall crossover. Um, And then she digs on Oprah in this book, which I could not believe. Also, she was on Oprah sharing her story of being bipolar before this book came out. Um, and in the book, she's basically like, Oprah was like being my girlfriend until I outshined her. And then she cut that girlfriend shit. And I was not cast because Oprah didn't want me to outshine her. And I was like, mm-hmm. in a book? This isn't a book. <laughs> um, and then at the end of her memoir, she's like, yeah, this is not a tell-all. And I was like, it's not. What is the tell-all? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, again, it's one of those perception things, but uh, I wonder how much of it is real and how much of it is just her perception of what happened. Uh, I think that it's very, it's so easy when you're in in a certain place, when you're dealing with rejection from the industry to say, oh, it's because that person has this and they're from here and they know so-and-so and they're in the Illuminati, as opposed to like looking into oneself and saying, did I do my best? Is there things I can improve on? If not, you know, well, okay, I and, did. What and do I want? And a third one: Do I have a reputation for being a good person to be around? Yeah. And Jennifer, by her own admission, was many times not. And mm-hmm. even if she was the most talented person in the room, if if someone was like, "Hey, they're really mean," or whatever, like that's maybe why you didn't get it. And maybe yeah. that's harder to face than. Um, even the part about your own talent. Um, right. Okay, so a couple other stories. We're towards the end of the book. She adopts a daughter, and it's so cool how she meets her. She volunteered to become a big sister, and she's just mentoring this this young woman and ends up adopting her and raising her, which I just thought was such a cool story. And then the end of the book really wraps itself up pretty fast, and then she tells this crazy scamming story. So... So she tells us very briefly that she got scammed by a man who she was dating. And it's such a short story. You can almost tell she doesn't want to include it in the book, but also wants to give advice to people to, you know, watch out. So, Madison, um, you know more about the scam story. You dimmed me some articles about it. Will you tell us what happened? Okay, so I like, by which I, you know, I basically read an, a headline and like skimmed an article. So, you know, take it for the grain of salt. You can Google it yourself if you need more tea, honey. I know you're thirsty, but, I, you know. Anyways, have a seat. Let's let's sip. So apparently she was working out. I believe it was at an LA Fitness. I think they get named. <laughs> which is like, what it. are we doing at that place? <laughs> 
Girl, what's the trade like at LA Fitness? And she's like, you know what? This one. And she lives in the Valley, I'm, I'm assuming. She says she lives near Disney. So I'm like, oh my gosh, she lives in the Valley. So you, yeah. know, you can kind of cross-reference that if you want to. But <laughs> this this man, I don't even think he worked at the gym. He just like... He was just at the gym and then offered to train her. Well, he spots her, figures out who she is, and then s- internet researches her, stalks her on the internet, then uh, after a short time approaches her and, you know, does the thing that con men do. If you've seen the Showtime documentary, um, Love Fraud, it's a very similar thing, okay, where it's like whirlwind and he's like, whatever. And early in their relationship, he's training her, quote unquote, which he ain't trained to fucking train nobody. Okay, okay, whatever. He's training her and he hits her up to... um, ask her to invest $50,000 in a technological invention that he had made that she did. It said, she said like, it didn't make any sense to me. I didn't understand how it worked. That's, that's a red flag. You shouldn't invest money in something that you don't know how it works. Right. (laughs) Very true. So come to find out, I guess her home girl per the book, her home girl in her, in her friendship group called The Boat, which is like, I want to see that group text. It sounds Absolutely. incredible. Give me that thread. She goes, look, I think this guy's a scammer. And then like brings her some proof that this guy had scammed other women. And turns out that in recent years, he had gone to prison for this before for frauding somebody out of money. But this time, uh, Jennifer, along with like three or four other women, he had scammed them out of in total $350,000 between those four women, all older women, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Who had worked their whole careers to make this money, right? They're ready to invest. They're trying to, you know, go out with a bang. And he's also like whining and dining them. He only uses the money to like keep up his lifestyle so he can pretend to be the boyfriend of these other women, Anyways, so he recently was sentenced to jail and Jennifer sued LA Fitness and they gave her $13,000. I didn't know she sued the gym. She sued the gym. That's intense too. Maybe he was a trainer there. Um, Who knows? Otherwise, yeah, it is so... It's so sad, too, because in the book, she's like, people are crazy. You really need to be careful. And like, I never knew someone like this could get into my life. And it was romantic. It's written in a way where you're like, oh, this is way more painful than she's even put it on the page. And then when you look up interviews, um, yeah, it's like an extremely painful story. And it she really seems to only be sharing it to like let other women know like you can get scammed, which and it's just such a bummer. Like you're kind of at the end and you're like, no, like she's done so much great work and she's so good to so many people in the world. And then some idiot has a sound invention. It said, I think it's a sound device is what they said. Oh, my it's God. Like, even uh, worse. I know. It's like... Uh, we have speakers. We have headphones. What else do we need? Um, okay. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Okay. So now we're going to read the last page. I'm going to read a little bit of the beginning and the end. She said, I turned off the ignition, looked around and thought, I owe. Because I have survived, I owe. Because I have a smile on my face and am in good health, I owe. Because I live with bipolar disorder and thrive, I owe. Because I made it to the other side of sex addiction, I owe. Because my generation has left a world of chaos and environmental deterioration for the next is being made to clean up, I owe. I owe, I owe, I owe. I owe it to the world to share what I have learned on my journey. People love gossip. I don't. I know the pain gossip caused me and those around me. After all the shit I've been through, I know no one is better or worse than anyone else. We are all God's babies. It's the reason I chose not to write a Hollywood tell-all. Again, to which I say, like, incredible. (laughs) Give me that book. And then at the very end, 
She said, composing the mother of Black Hollywood was two years of blood, sweat, and tears. So many fucking tears. Reliving all that drama and so many deaths. There's no foolproof recipe, y'all. You gotta live you. Make your own choices, build your own house, set your own goals. I sincerely hope you find some tools in my honesty that will help you on your way. Don't let me have bared my soul for nothing. Ain't nobody got time for that in these streets. Now go get them, tiger. Love, Jennifer. Mm, just I so love in- that. Yeah, it's a very um, invigorated and uplifting book. And like, it's a very energizing book. Um, so Madison, we end all the podcast with a thank you to the author. So I'll go first. Um, I want to thank Jennifer for making pain so funny. Um, some people think it makes light of it, but for me, it only allows me to go deeper because my brain is having a good time. And I just always respect when you can make pain funny. And I also want to thank her for owning her talent. The whole book, she is like, I am very talented and I want to learn from that. I think it's so respectable and cool. And when I see other people do it, I'm like, that is cool. And she doesn't play small. And her doing that makes made me want to like own my shine. And so it's like, oh yeah, whenever you like own your shine, it inspires other people to do the same. And I thought that was such a gift she gave in the book Mm -hmm. i want to thank jennifer lewis for this book because i feel like it gives us a snapshot into for me i'm really interested in black history and i just love this period of like the 1970s and what it would be to be like a working theater artist on that at that time and like on the road i i love all of it. Um, also, I, I like that she shares the rejection. I love that she shares the rejection in the times that she was fired and the time she fucked up and she wasn't the hero of the story. Um, I just, I love that because I feel like so many uh, memoirs uh, kind of glaze over that. It's like, yeah. well, we get a couple pages of I was struggling and didn't have food to eat. Anyway, when I booked SNL. When I was on or- my yacht with my first husband. <laughs> skips to like dinner with Scorsese and it's like what What, happened before that you're so right you're so and this book has the most of that I've ever seen in a book yeah and and thank you for the inspo to like make my own shit I think that's a big I want to see her movie what is it called Jackie Jackie's back Jackie's Um, back I looked for it I I searched for it I could not find it please tell us where to get it at Chelsea Devontes need to know but make your own shit, you know, that'll help keep you sane. That's one thing I took away. And thank you for that message. Oh my gosh. Make your own shit. It will help keep you sane. Put it on a bumper sticker on my front door because I don't drive enough. Um, <laughs> Madison, thank you so much for being on this podcast and for all you brought to it. Please tell people where they can find you online and where they can find your podcast with Danielle. Okay, so I host a podcast called Wow Rude Podcast with my best friend and fellow comedian, Danielle Perez. You can listen to it on um, anywhere you listen to uh, podcast, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Spotify. You can also watch it on YouTube if you're a freak. The clips are so funny. Um, we're a mess. We've been best friends for um, like 15 plus years. What? And I didn't so, know that. I For yeah. some reason, I just assumed like, oh, they must have met in LA as comedians. That is so touching. Yes. So we're, we started together and he, here we are doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy my album on my website because uh, I don't know how to get the money out of my Tune Core account. Where that, anyways, like I don't know how to get my money off of iTunes. So just buy it from my website <laughs> um, because I know how to get that money. And, um, you know, watch Single Drunk Female. It's supposed to come out sometime soon. And um, if you don't, you know, that's fine too. Boundaries, you know? Boundaries. Oh, social media, Twitter, at Madison Shepherd. Instagram at Madison underscore Shepherd, and I'll fuck with any of the other ones. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're a dream.
that's all for this week's episode. It was so fun having Madison on. And if you want to see the visual story of everything that goes with what we talked about today, including a picture of Madison and I from that weird show we did, go to my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes and also the Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast, where I post pictures and also you can start discussions, talk about the book, people share articles, all kinds of things. And in my photo search of Jennifer Lewis, I found a very funny pattern and I'm going to post it on my Instagram story. I won't spoil it, but uh, it was really cracking me up. Stay tuned next week. We have the Sharon Stone memoir episode. I read it the second it dropped. I can't wait for you to hear it. As always, if you would like to leave us a review, they help the podcast out so much. I could not do this podcast without our amazing production team here at Stitcher, executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. If you want to listen to an ad-free episode of Celebrity Book Club, you can only do that with Stitcher Premium. And if you want a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S. That is all for this week, and I will see you guys soon.